Christmas. I really enjoy the Christmas season. I enjoy the songs that you, you don't sing every week. You know, you, you sing these songs once a, uh, once a year, and, and uh, I just really, really enjoy that. And, uh, and thank you, too, for the generosity uh, that you guys have shown. Uh, in fact, even this morning, I had some, some cards that some people had given me, so I took them into my office, and, and even while I'm putting them in my box to, to read them, I saw another one float under the door <laughs> as I was standing there. So you guys have just been uh, so wonderful, outpouring of your appreciation to us, and I say that on behalf of the, the other pastors as well. And uh, for me, it seems a little odd being up here, because it seems like forever since I've been up here. Isn't that true? I mean, because last week, uh, Pastor Tim did a fantastic job. Uh, uh, giving the gospel presentation after the, the drama. And the week before that, John did a wonderful job after the children's, uh, children's program, which was awesome, was it not? So everyone did just a wonderful job in both of those opportunities. I've enjoyed this, uh, this, Christmas, this Christmas season here. Well, today I'd like to talk about Christmas, but I'd like to do something a little bit different, uh, a little bit different than what we've normally done. So is the PowerPoint showing here real fast? Is it not showing? So we could sing again too. Yeah, we could. <laughs> but trust me, you would not want me to lead that. So <laughs> you'll be very appreciative of Dennis if that happens. So, um, so okay. is it not showing up? This, uh, that's the first time. That I, so let's just do something else today. <laughs> no. All right. Are we good? Okay. Aha. There it is. So it is there. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you up there. We're scrambling to make all that work. But today, I'd like to do something a little bit different and begin with a Christmas quiz. All right. A Christmas quiz. So we're going to have a, a little competition here. I know this is not your typical Sunday morning thing, but here's what we're going to do. There's 10 points. So if you want to hold up. Ten fingers, so, and then every time you get a question wrong, just drop off one of your fingers, all right? So, and we'll see, we'll see how we do in this Christmas quiz. Are you ready for that? Is that okay to go out of tradition a little bit for, for Christmas? All right, here we go. We'll start off pretty easy. Who was Jesus' mother? All right, this is just to get the, no, you can't say it out loud. That's, <laughs> we're a bunch of cheaters, aren't we? No, Okay. Fortunately, it's the one I knew everyone would get this one right. But here are your answers. You have A, Margaret, B, Mary, C, Teresa. She's a mother, right? Mother Teresa. And D, Jesus didn't have a mother. So what's the answer? The answer is? I, I thought I heard a D out there somewhere. But okay. Mary. All right, so Mary is the mother of Jesus, right? Um, so if, if you've got ten fingers still up, then they're in good shape there. Let's start to get a little bit harder. Uh, num- uh, number two, what was Mary's cousin's name? Mary's cousin. No, don't say it. <laughs> a is Martha. B, Elizabeth. C, Gabrielle. Or D, Zachariah. Okay, so once you've got, if, does everyone have your answers? All right, now you can say it. It is B, Elizabeth. Very good. Very good. All right. Go a little harder. Number three. Which of the following was not a gift to Jesus? Was not a gift of Jesus. A, frankincense. B, silver. C, myrrh. And D, gold. All right, so give everyone a chance. You all have an answer in your mind? Okay, there's still the honor system here. 
All right, so the answer is? B. B, silver. There was no silver there involved. All right, number four. What king murdered countless babies in an attempt to kill Jesus? A, was it Caesar? Or B, Herod? Or C, Pharaoh? And forgive me, D, Elvis. <laughs> I couldn't think of any other king, so... If anyone says D, then we're going to have to talk afterwards, but... All right, so you, got, you all have an answer? Okay, the answer is? D. D all the way. I'm sorry. It was Herod. It was Herod. Very good. All right, so I'm still seeing some fingers. I see some people with no fingers, so either you're not playing or you did really bad. So. All right, number five. On the night of Jesus' birth, he was visited by A, shepherds, B, Magi, C, Shepherds and Magi, or D, Shepherds, Magi, and a little drummer boy. <laughs> all right. So you all have an answer in your minds? No, try and get an answer in your mind. And the answer is A. A, it's Shepherds. All right. Because the Magi didn't show up until Jesus was a toddler. So if you want to learn more about that, come to the Christmas Eve service. Uh, and we'll talk more about that. All right, um, number six. What did the angels sing in the presence of the shepherds? Okay, what did the angels sing in the presence of the shepherds? Was it A, glory to God in the highest? Or B, peace, goodwill toward men? Or C, both of the above? Or D, neither of the above? So do you all have an answer? This is a a little bit tougher. And the answer is neither of the above. Yes, this was a tough one. This was a trick question. The answer is because Luke recorded that they said these things. They did not sing them. So, oh, come on, come on. It says a host of angels. That's the army term. I can hardly imagine the army guys singing it anyway. But, all right. Number seven. What does Emmanuel mean? Now, Dennis cheated by putting the answer in one of the songs we sang this morning, but uh, is it A, Savior, B, Guide, C, God with us, or D, Messiah? All right, so you have your answers? Okay, the answer is? C, C, God with us. Yep, very good. Emmanuel, God with us. Number eight, what does Bethlehem mean? Is it A, House of Bread? B, Son of God, C, Peace on Earth, or D, Glory to God. Okay, so think about it. You got, it, you got your answers? All right, the answer is? A. A, very good, House of Bread. Very good. Two more. Christians started celebrating the birth of Christ on December 21st, or 25th, 21st. <laughs> That was me growing up because uh, I always wanted to open our presents early. But uh, 25th, A, since the birth of Christ in the year 080, right? Or B, since the beginning of the early church in Acts chapter 2. C, around the 4th century A.D. Or D, around the 8th century A.D. It's a little bit tougher, right? All right, you all have answers? Okay, what is it? 
It's actually C, around the 4th century A.D. Very good. Around the 8th century is when they started making it national holidays in, in places around the world, but they started celebrating it on the 25th, um, even though he was probably not born on December 25th. Um, but uh, let's look at the last question. The famous carol, We Three Kings, is incorrect in which of the following ways? All right, so we are assuming that it's incorrect, but in which of the following ways? There weren't three. They weren't kings. Or, see, they weren't from the Orient. So we Three Kings of Orient are, you know the song, right? So is it, is it incorrect because there weren't three, there weren't kings, or they weren't from the Orient? And the answer is all of the above. I, I, I know, I, I cheated on that one. But when you think about it, it was, it was all of the above because there weren't three, there were three types of gifts, right? Um, they weren't kings, they were magi, they were astronomers. For honest, they're astrologers, too. Um, they studied astronomy and astrology. And, and uh, they weren't from the Orient, they were from the Babylonia, Persia area. They did come from the east, just not that far east. And uh, so, how'd you do? Did anyone get 10 out of 10? All right, so if anyone who gets 10, let's say if you got 8 out of 10 or better, then you get front row seats to next year's children's program. All right, front row seats. So that would be exciting. All right, well, thank you, thank you for, uh, for participating in that and, and indulging me and uh, letting me do something completely out of the ordinary. But, you know, um, we've heard the Christmas story so many times. And we've heard it through TV shows. We've heard it through movies. We've heard it through reading of the scripture. We've heard it through the, the storytelling. We've heard it through dramas. We've heard it through so many things for so many years that sometimes we, we, we forget to sort through the fact and fiction of it all, right? But even more importantly, I think sometimes what we forget to do is we, we, we begin to lose, we, we, we begin to lose just the awesomeness of the story of Christmas. Isn't that true? Because you hear it over and over and over again. And, uh, and we begin to lose that sense of amazement. Today, what I want you to do is we read the story from Luke chapter 2. I'll pick up where Pastor Tim left off and we'll go from verse 8 to verse 20. I want you to read the story as if you had never heard it before. Okay? Can we do that today? Read the story as if you've never heard the story before. Think of it in terms of what they knew at that time. They understood the Old Testament. They knew that God created the world. They knew that Adam and Eve sinned and that sin came into the world. They knew all of the stories of the Old Testament. They knew of the promises of a coming Messiah who was going to fulfill the promises made to Adam and to Noah and to Abraham and to Moses and David. And You know all of those things. Maybe you're expecting some kind of king to come as a as a king would come, with all his pomp and circumstance, right? Now let's look at Luke 2 and read this story as if it were the first time we've heard the story. Verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will, be, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them in the heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Wow, what a fantastic way to introduce us to the key central figure of the scriptures. Isn't that true? I mean, this is the key figure of all human history. And this is how God chose to reveal him to us. It's an amazing story when you think about it that way. There's really no way that everyone involved at the moment really understood the gravity of what was going on that night. Don't you think? To really understand that everything from all of human history past was pointing to this moment and everything from the future is going to look back at this moment as the key turning point when we have Emmanuel, God with us. God becoming flesh, becoming a human being for us. It's an amazing story. And when you look at how Mary responded, and you look at how the shepherds responded, the shepherds responded as if they already understood. They, they walked away. What were they doing? They were praising and glorifying the Lord as they walked away. Mary was pondering in her heart. The word ponder is an interesting word. It, it means to be thinking deeply, but it's usually in a, an, inqu- an inquisitive sense. You're pondering, you're wondering. It's because you don't have all the answers and you're wondering, wait a minute, why? Why is, did this happen the way this is happening? And, and she had already had received a visit from an angel herself, and, and she knew a little bit about what the purpose of her son's life was going to be. But here, God has revealed himself to these shepherds. Why shepherds? You know, I, mean, I can imagine some of the questions that, that Mary may have been asking. One of the first questions that comes to my mind that she obviously was asking as the shepherds told her this story was, was why shepherds? And who were shepherds? Shepherds were the low men in the, in the economic scale of things at that time. They, they, weren't, uh, they weren't your highest paid men. And you think of there are several other people that might come to mind first when who would be the important list of people you want to contact about the central figure of the, of the universe coming to earth. But instead, God chose to reveal himself to a small group of shepherds. And not only that, they worked the night shift, right? These weren't the shepherds who could choose their shift. Because if you can choose your shift, how many of you choose to work the night shift, right? I don't see too many hands. and right, Not too many. I saw Connor's hand, but I know he doesn't work at all. So <laughs> just kidding. He did help me move, so I can't say that. You know what? The, the, you see uh, how God is re- taking this incredible message and revealing it to really the humblest of people uh, on the earth. And so why? Uh, why did he do it to them? Um, why them and nobody else? A couple other sub-questions that come with, with that in my mind are, well, why not the king? I mean, when we think about it, if, if God has this great message and he's going to send his own son, his own son 
why not tell the king? Because the king obviously has prestige, he has influence, he has power, he has authority, he has all of those things, right? Would it have been a good idea to reveal it to the king, by the way? We'll find out on, when, on uh, Wednesday night when we come back for uh, the Christmas Eve service. But why not the king? Why not the religious leaders? I can understand why you wouldn't want the, poli the politicians involved in this, but what about the religious leaders? These were men who, they were teachers of the law. They studied the law. They studied the Old Testament. In fact, if they studied the Old Testament well enough, they should have been able to predict the town he was going to be born in and when he was going to be born there approximately, right? They should have been the men who were looking for Jesus, but you know what? We find out that they weren't. In fact, in uh, Wednesday, we'll see that when the Magi came to them, they were able to... They did the math and said, oh, he was, he'll be born in Bethlehem. They didn't, they didn't lift one foot, take one step to go look for, for the Messiah, did they? So why not, why not uh, reveal yourself to the religious leaders? Well, I think the answer comes when we start looking a little bit deeper into the text and we see what was the message that was, uh, that was given and, and why was it given in the way it was given. So let's, let's look at the message that the angel gave first. The message in verses 10 through 12, what we find that there are really three parts to this message. There's the preface to the message, the message itself, and then he ends with a sign. Let's look at the preface to the message first in verse 10. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Three little parts to this uh, preface. First, he says, this is good news. Word there, euangelion. That's the Greek word. It means good news. It's the same word that we get the word gospel from. So when the Bible talks about the gospel, in other words, guess what? The good news, the gospel begins here. You know, all the way up to that point, the Old Testament, it, it tells us about the bad news. Guess what? We're sinners and we deserve punishment. That, we learned that in the Old Testament. Starting that night, it became good news gospel. God begins that night. Good news of great joy. This is good news, great joy. This is exciting. I can just imagine the, the shepherds for a moment. I've got good news for you. Oh, excellent. Great. And it's great joy. Great. What is it? You know, that anticipation. What is it? And then they don't give the answer right away. They say it's, and it's going to be for everyone. This is for everybody. What would we ask? What is it? And there's this anticipation that builds up in this preface. There's uh, good news, great joy, and it's for everyone. And then what is the message in verse 11? For there is born to you this day in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, by the way, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the message as well has three little points to it. First, the Savior is born. In fact, the word Jesus means the one who saves. He's the Savior. Now, oftentimes, we have to make sure we understand things from the way they would have understood it. When they're thinking of Savior, they might be thinking of someone like Samson, right? You have enemies coming up, and then Samson comes, and he rescues the day. He's the hero. He's the Savior of the day. And many of the Jews were expecting some type of military leader to come and save them because we see that cycle where um, whenever Israel sinned, God withdrew his protection, the enemies would come in, and then a savior would come to the rescue. And so there, there may have been some thought of, oh great, a savior, maybe a military leader, right? Someone who's going to come and save us. What they didn't realize, at least at the moment, was that the savior was going to save them from something 
much, much greater. Isn't that true? He's going to save not just the Jews, but he's going to save, what does the, the preface say? All people. He is going to create a way to escape condemnation, escape death, and have eternal life. Isn't that amazing? And this begins Christmas. A Savior. It goes on to say he's, he's the Christ. Savior is the Christ. The, that's the Greek word. Uh, it comes from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one. The, the Old Testament version of the same word is Messiah. So whenever you hear the word Messiah, Christ, it's the same concept. It means one who is anointed to be king. And so, again, we have this idea. Well, maybe this Savior is going to be some type of political leader. That's what probably would have gone on in the minds of, of most of the Jews as they heard this news. But he's a Savior. He's the king. He's going to be the king because he's anointed to be king. And the last one, it says... Christ the Lord. Uh, the Greek word here is kurias. It's a, it's a simple word for, uh, for Lord. But we have to understand this was, this was recorded in Greek. It was probably spoken in Aramaic uh, or Hebrew. Um, Aramaic is, uh, is kind of like the Kentuckian version of English. It's, Aramaic is almost Hebrew, just uh, so for those who are interested in that in languages. And... Um, not to make fun of people from Kentucky, because my family's from Kentucky, all right? So I, or, so I do have some Kentuckians here, but you understand, they talk a little bit different <laughs> down there, right? And so it was spoken in that language, and so, so the words that would translate for Lord, they would say Adonai in Hebrew. Adonai was the word that they would use because they didn't want to say the word Yahweh, which is the name for the Lord. So anytime, even if they're reading in the scriptures and they come across the word Yahweh, which is God's name, they would say Adonai. That word translated into Greek is kurios, translated in English, that's Lord. If, if, you don't, if you didn't follow all that, that's okay. The point being that in this third description of the Savior, what we're really finding is that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He's God. Now, there are other verses that say it even more clearer than this, but this is one of those passages where we can see a direct connection to Jesus Christ being Yahweh, the one who created everything. And so we begin to see this, this vision of Jesus unfold as the, as the angel announces it to the shepherds. He's the Savior, but he's the Messiah, and he's God. And, and I can just imagine their, their eyes being opened to saying, oh, this is a lot bigger than we thought. This is a lot bigger than we thought. There's a sign uh, as well that he gives to them. And, and there's a lot that I think we can learn from this as well. It says, uh, verse 12, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby. Let me just start there. First, it's a baby. It's a human. Now, he, he, he just got through explaining that this is God. Did he say 50% God? No, he is God. And now he's saying, but you're going to find him as a baby. A baby what? A baby human being. The fact is, God became a man. Now this is, this is something that the Jews had been wrestling with for a long time. This isn't a new concept. They've been wrestling with this for a long time. Actually, if you go all the way back to the book of Judges, one book past what we've been studying right now uh, in, in the book of Joshua. But if you go to the book of Judges... What you find is at the end, things are going horribly, and they say, in those days, every man did what was right in his own eyes, and they had no king. And then you come to 1 Samuel, and, uh, and they're saying, we, we now want a king, because things were going so horribly, we want a king. And God said, I'll be your king. And they said, no, we don't want 
God to be our king. We want a human king like everybody else. Do you remember that? We want a human king. And God said, okay, if you've rejected me as king, I'll give you a human king. How well did that work out? And they divided the country into two. Israel to the north, Judah in the south. And both of them ended up being overtaken by their enemies, right? Carried off into captivity. It didn't work out so well. It's because God wanted to be the king. But people wanted, they needed a human king. And so when God was the king and they, and they didn't have a human king, they didn't feel they connected, they weren't following him. And then you go, you go a little further and God gives them a human king, but he's no longer the king and, and, and you don't have God being king. So they follow their own ways and they, follow, they get into trouble again. For the first time we have the, the perfect answer to this in Jesus Christ. He's God, 100%. He's also man. And he's the Christ. What does that mean? Anointed to be king. When you have those put together, now you have a savior. Now you have a savior. And he came as a baby. 100% God, 100% human. Also, you notice, he didn't come as an adult. Think about that for a second. Why did God choose to bring, I mean, Jesus could have come. Did, Did angels have the ability to take on the form of a human being? Yes, they took on the form of a human being. But were they humans? No, they were not. Jesus came as a baby. Why? Because he wanted to not just take on the form of a human being. He actually became a human being. He was born just like you and me. He lived a life just like you and me. Because of what he wanted to to teach us. And the sacrifice he wanted to make. Not only was it uh, uh, the sign that he was going to be a babe. He would find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. So uh, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. What does that mean? Swaddle just means to, to wrap snugly, right? That's all it means. Um, so as babies are born, oftentimes we wrap them up in, in swaddling clothes, right? Typically, you're, you're wrapped in swaddling clothes at two points of your existence, when, you, when you're born and when you die, right? Two times Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths. Once when he was born and the other time when he had died for our sins. Neither time did he stay there, right? But we see this, this uh, humble sense of, uh, of Christ's birth. He came, and, and we really see that, that uh, idea taken when we look at the third part. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling claws, lying in a manger. He's lying in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. Is this what you would picture... When a king comes to you, it's not. In fact, when you think of a king, a human king, you think of all sorts of beautiful things. I, I actually worked one time for a lady who uh, had a floor, uh, florist uh, shop, and she was well-known. She did, well, she did Reagan's inauguration, and just seeing the pictures. This was just a human man taking the presidency of one country, and it was a big deal, Right? This is the creator of the universe. And there's no room for him anywhere, so he's put into a manger. Imagine that. Any of you ever put down any of your children in a manger to sleep? I'm sure that would be helpful. I don't think there's anyone in here. That's below all of us. The closest we came to that was when we first moved to Costa Rica as missionaries. And we went there, and, and we, we, uh, the Lord had provided us with uh, a little apartment. 
and it had a nice, um, like a little uh, study and a dining room and a living room and uh, and a kid's playroom and an office. Unfortunately, that was all the same room. So you can imagine. And we were just packed inside. We got there. I don't know what it was, 700 square feet or something like that. And, uh, and I have a picture of Olivia where we made a bed for her so she could sleep in the only place where we could find room, in the shower. <laughs> so, so we have a picture of her in the shower right now. She didn't stay there for long. We eventually found a way to, to, to do that. But when we got there that first day, that was all we could do. Why? Because we, we it was a humble beginning of our, of our ministry there. God put his son in a feeding trough for animals. Do you, do you grasp that? that? The humility that it took for that to happen. So when I think of the question, why shepherds? Why, why did God go to them instead of to the more prestigious people? Why, do, why the shepherds? I think the answer is simple. It's to emphasize Christ's humble birth. To emphasize Christ's humble birth. See, Christianity is all about humility. You know that? It's all about humility. The religious leaders didn't grasp that. The political leaders didn't grasp that. To them, Christianity was something you could use to advance yourself. That's what Herod wanted. He wanted to be the king. In fact, we know that because as soon as he found out the real king's there, he wanted to kill him, right? What about the religious leaders? They ended up killing him, right? They, they didn't want to cross town. They didn't want to go from Jerusalem 10 kilometers to, to Bethlehem. Um, they didn't want to do that. But Christianity is all about humility. Look at the word, listen to the words of the same baby when he was an adult. In Matthew 23, 11 through 13, what does Jesus say? He says, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is what it's all about. But then look at the religious leaders, what he said to them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, he calls them. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Why? They didn't grasp this whole humility concept. To them, religion was something you could use to advance yourself, work your way up, and it doesn't work that way, does it? Who's the greatest in this congregation? Christ is, right? Because he was the greatest servant of us all. That's why he's the head of the church. He gave his life for us. And after that, it's whoever serves. So whatever your role is in the church, if you're serving, you're doing it. You're the greatest in the church, right? And, uh, if, but at the moment you start doing anything because you want to work your way up, that's religion. The Bible has nothing to do with that. It condemns that. And uh, that's what Christianity is really all, all about. So why shepherds? I think to emphasize the humble birth, but also so that Jesus could be the ultimate example of humility. He came in that fashion so that he could be the perfect example of humility from his birth all the way to his death. Everything was meant to serve. Isn't that true? He died on the cross not to earn something for himself. He died on the cross for you and for me so that we could have a right to heaven. We don't deserve it. And only if we humble ourselves will we understand that and be able to accept that gift. And so look at Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8. It says, 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is Paul writing this, talking about Christ. It says, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What is he saying there? You, if Jesus were to call himself God, that wouldn't be robbing anything. Why? Because he deserves that title. What is Paul saying? Jesus is God. Clear as day, right? Verse 7, but Jesus, being God, made himself of no reputation. He didn't hold a single political office. He didn't work his way up the chain in the pharisaical uh, hierarchy. He made himself no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. If they think that the Christmas story ends in Bethlehem, you've missed the point. It's that God became man so that he could live this perfect life so that he could die on the cross for our sins. That's what, it, that's what it's about. Amen? And so we see that in, in there. So, so why, why shepherds? I think that tells us why. But there's a second question. If I ponder it a little bit deeper and I try to put myself in Mary's position, why these shepherds? Because Israel has a lot of shepherds. I don't know if you know that. Israel is about the size of New Jersey, but there are shepherds all the way from Dan to Beersheba, right? They're, they're all over the country. It's, they have a lot of shepherds. But did God and the angels, did the angels come and visit all of the shepherds? No, just the shepherds right outside of the small town of Bethlehem. Why? Why these shepherds? Why not some of the other shepherds? Why not um, the shepherds in, all over the rest of the, the country? Well, let's take a look at a couple things that might help us understand that. I don't know how well you can see the map, but in the upper right-hand corner, you see Jericho, which we've been studying um, lately. If you go down about a 45-degree angle, you'll see Jerusalem. And then just below Jerusalem, uh, it's uh, about 10 kilometers away, you see the little town of Bethlehem. So Bethlehem is just a little town just outside of Jerusalem. You can actually see Bethlehem from Jerusalem and vice versa. So if you look at Jerusalem, uh, the, this is a, the city of Jerusalem and the walls around it. You see several gates on the outside. The most famous landmark would be the Dome on the Rock. You guys have seen pictures of that, right? Anyone ever see the Dome on the Rock? So, yeah, a few people. Um, yeah, it's an, it's an impressive thing. Unfortunately, it's not a Christian thing. It's not a Jewish thing. It's a Muslim thing. And they own that property right now. But it's located right there in um, in Jerusalem, and that is the area where the temple was. This is where the sacrifices were taken. Now, a small gate that you don't really hear too much about is called the Bethlehem Gate. The Bethlehem Gate is just a small gate, not of the city, but a small gate going into the temple area. And uh, they called it the Bethlehem Gate uh, because they would bring sheep from the town of Bethlehem to come into the temple for the sacrifices. Uh, they, they made the door smaller because there, were, there was no need for people to even come through because the only ones that would come through is this, through this little door. Um, they would send sheep through the Bethlehem gate. Why? Because the shepherds in Bethlehem were tasked with, a, with something very important. Their job was to raise the sheep that would be sacrificed in the temple for the sins of their people. You think about that. This was the job that these men had had 
for a long time. See, they had a long history. And when I think of, of why these shepherds, I think the answer is simple. Because they would understand the purpose of the coming Messiah. They would understand the purpose, why he's here. Because what did they do? In fact, the roots of what they did would go all the way back into the Old Testament. And you could take it all the way back to Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Remember when Abraham was going to offer, he was told to offer Isaac, his son. Remember that? And just at the moment when, uh, when uh, he's ready to do the, the offering, Isaac looks around and says, wait a minute, I see fire and I see wood, but where's the lamb? Right? And, uh, and so... What was said, and Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. We begin to see this concept of a lamb taking, play, or taking the place of the punishment that we deserve. It's an image that God gave. It really goes back all, all the way. And I'm just using a few examples through scriptures, but we see it in Genesis. We, we see it again in the Passover story. Uh, if we look, go to Exodus chapter 12, uh, verse 3. We see that, uh, that Moses said, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for his household. And what did they do? They sacrificed the lamb. They put the blood on the doorposts of their house. And so when the angel came um, that night and took all of the firstborns among them, guess what? They were spared. And we begin to see this idea of, of this lamb taking away the sins of the world beginning to take place. And then we, we find in Leviticus, the third book of the Bible, uh, we see that system put in place in the tabernacle. And, uh, and so they, they, uh, the priests would offer the sacrifice there. In Leviticus 3.7, just one example, it says, If he offers lamb as his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. Where? In the tabernacle. We begin to see this take place in the temple once they, once they get into the promised land. And this system continued from that day on. The, the shepherds in, in uh, Bethlehem understood their job. I'm sure that they raised sheep, and I'm sure they used the wool, and I'm sure they made falafel, you know, all the things that you can make with, the delicious things you can make with lamb, right? But they would look for the best ones, and they would take the lambs without blemish, and they would take them to the Temple Mount. They would pass them along through the Bethlehem gate, knowing that those lambs were taking on them symbolically the sins of the people. Now you have the Lamb. What did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus the first time? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I think it's part of the purpose when we look at why these shepherds. It's because they would understand. They would understand the purpose of the coming Messiah. And what is that purpose? The purpose was simple. The purpose of Christmas, the birth of Christ, was for Christ, God, in the flesh, to become the sacrificial lamb for us. They grasp this, and what do they do? They walk away glorifying and praising the Lord. Because they understand. They understand what's going on. Well, we, we mentioned this verse earlier, but look at what uh, Matthew 23 says again. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Christ humbled himself, so what can we expect to see? We can expect to see him exalted. And that's exactly what we find in the following verses. If we look at, uh, uh, at, at uh, verses 12, or excuse me, verses 13 and 14, 
back in, in Luke 2. It says, And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And we begin to see God lifting up this humble servant in his son, Jesus Christ. The exaltation of the humble. What about you? I'm only going to ask two questions today. What about you? The first question is, have you ever humbled yourself to the point that you recognized your need for salvation? This is a very important point. Because if you think by any stretch that it has anything to do with salvation, has anything to do with who you are, then you're more like Herod than the, than the shepherds. Or if you think that salvation has anything to do with what you can earn or deserve or work your way up the ladder, then you don't get it. You have to be more like the shepherds. Humble. Understanding. Have you ever humbled yourself to the point that you recognized your need to be saved? It's coming to that point in your life where you say, I can't save myself from here. I came to that point once uh, physically in my life. I was uh, five or six years old. We were in Tri Lakes, Indiana, and my dad told me, do not go out onto the dock because I didn't know how to swim, and, uh, and I disobeyed. I disobeyed my dad, and I went out there, and everyone had gone inside, so there was no one watching me, and I thought, I can see the bottom. It's not that far, but it's a pretty steep drop-off, and, and uh, so I just kept looking around, and I started looking at the fish. I'm not looking at the bottom, and I keep getting further and further out there, and one time I'm looking over, and I don't know how I did it, but I just looked too far, and it went under the dock, and I kept looking, and I just fell forward and fell in. None of my family was there to see me, and I remember seeing air, like right there. You know that frustrating feeling when you're just that close from, from salvation, in a sense? But I couldn't get to it. And I realized, and for that split second, I thought, I'm dead. This is it. I'm six years old. <laughs> you know? and, and, uh, and fortunately, and God in his providence saw, or had a neighbor kid happen to see me. He looked over and saw as I had fallen in. He hopped his fence, ran over there, pulled me out. I had nothing to do with it. I could not say I saved myself. That... That young man saved my life, right? We have to come to that same point spiritually where we say, you know what? I can't save myself. And if you have never been there, then you don't understand true salvation. The humility of salvation. Humble yourself to get to the point where you say, I can't save myself. If you've never done that, then I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. Secondly, I want to ask for those who have done that, you know that, you're 100% certain of that. If you truly understand the measure of Christ's humility, when you think of what Christ did and how much he humbled himself, how is that going to affect the way you live your life? How will that affect the way you live your life? Will you strive for authority or position? Or are you going to look for opportunities to serve others? Will you, will you be offended when people trample on your rights? Or will you see that as an opportunity to serve them back? Will you strive for accomplishments or will you strive for faithfulness in whatever God's called you to do? Are you going to look for recognition or are you going to look for opportunities to give God all the glory? Because the message of the gospel doesn't just change our eternal destiny. It changes everything in our lives from this point to that point, which we'll never reach. Because now we understand what Christianity is all about. As a, as a believer, how is this going to affect the way you live your life?
Let's bow our heads for a moment. Close our eyes. Without anyone paying attention to what anyone else is doing between you and God, I want you to, to think through the first, those, those two questions. First, if, have you ever humbled yourself to the point, recognized your need for salvation? If you're not certain that that's you, if you're not certain that you've ever done that, I just want to walk you through it right now. You can do it right from your seats. But I'm going to share one, uh, two simple verses from Scripture on how you can know for sure that you have that salvation. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. So if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, the Bible says, thou shalt be saved. Two simple things. One is accept Jesus Christ as our Lord. What that means, Lord means our master, our boss. Are you willing to humble yourself to say, I cannot be the master of my own life? And even right now, I would ask you to just pray that, a prayer to, to the Lord and say, Lord, I am asking you, say it in your own words, I am asking you to be the Lord of my life. Take a moment and do that right now. And the second thing it says, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. If you're willing to say, it's not because of any works that I, I can do. I can't earn heaven. I can't earn salvation. But Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave to pay for my sins. If you believe that, say that back to the Lord. In your own words, there's no magic formula. Say, Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. For me, I can't earn heaven. I can't earn salvation, but thank you for it. Just pray that prayer right now. that verse closes with thou shalt be saved. I don't want to embarrass anyone here, but if you prayed that prayer right now, would you just look up at me? Maybe raise a hand so I can just catch my attention. If there's anyone in here that, that prayed that prayer? Because I would love to have you come and talk to me after the service. Show you how you can enjoy your new life in Christ and what you can do from there. Alright, I see that hand. And then lastly, I want to ask you, those who do know for sure, that you've accepted Christ as your Savior. If the Lord is speaking to you, and there's some way that you, you need, just need to respond today, to say, say Lord, I, I want to humbly respond to you today. And I want to humble myself before you. Then I'm going to give you an opportunity as we sing the last song. You can come forward, you can pray, you can kneel, you can come talk to me, you can do what you need to do. But make sure you, you do whatever the Holy Spirit's telling you to, to do today. Let's stand together as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way you work in our hearts. I thank you for at least the one that accepted you as their Savior today. It's an eternal life changed. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray for all of us too. May we humble ourselves so that you can exalt us. May we not strive for all the things that, that the world tells us to strive for, that they tell us will give us satisfaction, and they don't. But we, may we be servants 
of you and servants of your people and servants of the lowliest. I mean, no one be below us, Lord. And if you're speaking to people today, Lord, I pray that they take advantage of the time just to come forward, spend some intimate time with you. I pray this in Christ's name.